Halashing for Halas? Want to bry or fine dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9 Tuesday mornings from 11am for Essen Fresen Where it's all about the food Good morning everyone You're with Dolores Fouché from Food by Flavors I'm so happy to be with you on this beautiful August morning The icy frost has left Johannesburg And everyone's feeling a new energy And I think with that new energy comes the thought of spring and summer And easier eating Not so much the heavier comfort food of winter But lighter and healthier food And of course one of the things that goes hand in hand with that Is body image and how we feel about ourselves I think it's sometimes easier to put on a little bit of weight in winter uh, and we, then we all start panicking just before all the yomtivs hit and beach weather, etc. I think body image is so related to food. Food is, as you know, my love, my passion, my life. Um, and it has a lot of negatives with it also, as much as it has positives. I love doing abundant functions. I love giving people food. I love hospitality. I love a beautiful full table of food. It fills my heart so much. But with it sometimes comes anxiety. So while we're talking about healthy trends and nutrition, I'm going to link today to three great uh, advisors, mentors, who have so much experience in the food industry as such. And the very first one I'm going to talk to is Elise Barron, who's a clinical dietitian with 23 years of experience. She can give us a bit of her background of what she's seen over the 23 years. Hi, Elise. Morning. Hi, Dolores. Nice to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you. I know that I just fed you all curry and all de- delicious decadent <laughs> chocolate cakes over the weekend. So are we talking about decadence and comfort? How can we, how can we position ourselves? How can we get ready for summer? How can we not get obsessed with food and weight, but at the same time maintain a healthy balance between enjoying what we're eating focusing on what's healthy and nutritious and not getting obsessed with this body image that just seems to implode all over social media. I'm sure you've seen so much in your 23 years. And has it changed in your 23 years? Yes, absolutely. So so just to give you an idea, nutrition information probably changes every six months. So that means at least every six months, new information about dieting and trends and weight loss coming coming through and when I qualified probably over 20 years ago we were taught then that 60% of your diet should come from carbohydrates and that it didn't matter if it was refined or if it was processed or if it was whole grain and it wasn't long after that where the World Health Organization sent out a a, a bunch of research to show that we actually were creating more diabetes and heart disease. Wow. So from how I practiced 20 years ago to how I practice now is very different. For sure. And what we're seeing now and the trends coming through now is that we're looking at individual components and we're looking at a patient as an individual and not a one-size-fits-all. And what's, what's very interesting in a lot of the work that I'm doing now is through genetic testing. So we can test a person's DNA and you can actually isolate certain genes which will tell you whether the person's craving sugars or they need to eat frequently or they need to do a certain amount of exercise to combat weight or they need to follow a more low carbohydrate diet or they need to eliminate more fats in their diet. So it's very interesting how it is moving more towards an individual trend. So as you see a person, you reflect on their life and you look at their makeup and composition and design a package for them that will work best for them. 
Absolutely. And you can go through like a process of elimination and you see what they respond to. Um, and then and straight away you'll get an idea of what works and what doesn't. Purely just from their feedback, they can tell you, you know, I'm craving more sugars, my energy levels are low, I'm not sleeping well at night. For sure. And that, that helps to guide you. So I always do say the more things change, the more they stay the same sometimes. And some things that do stay the same is just the way we look at bodies and weight and this ideal sylph-like image of people in the media, etc. And I think with that with people who battle with weight and battle with obesity and willpower is a huge component of that. Uh, how do you address that? How do you address someone who desperately wants to be healthier and to eat more nutritious food but just seems to give in all the time every time they start a diet? They just cannot sustain it. So I think that the most important thing that I've noticed is that you've got to be realistic. Not everyone is going to weigh 50 kilograms and fit into a size 8. For sure. You know, if you look at your genetic composition, you look at your mother, your father, your grandparents, your siblings, we often follow a gene trend. So if you're, you know, you're sitting with very big hips but a very small waist, you can't change that. For sure. And so what I try and do is make patients very aware of that, that there's certain things I can help with and certain things I can't. And we try to steer it away from just weight and standing on a scale Absolutely. To, to a healthier aspect. You've got to feel better about yourself. For sure. And when you've come to that acceptance that it's okay, the best I can be is maybe not a number on the scale, but a size clothing I can fit in, then your entire life changes. For sure. And I think you just said it. It's to be the best that you can be and to be realistic about your body shape and your gene collection kind of thing of what you exactly. inherited. What do you think of this whole new trend of intermittent fasting that's kind of burst onto the scene in the last few years? So so intermittent fasting is very interesting because it's debunked that myth that we've always believed that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and everyone needs to wake up at 6 o'clock and eat breakfast. For sure. And and over the years, I mean, I'm sure you also, there's some people that don't want to eat, they're not hungry. That's yes. not how their system functions. Yes. And what we see is that certain patients go on to an intermittent fast and they actually respond very well. Their appetite is better managed, their satiety is better, their energy levels are better. And so then you know this is going to work for them. Whereas some other people might go on to it and they're actually hungrier, they start binge eating, they overeat later in the day. And you know, for them, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, I know for me personally, I'm not a morning person, so I can't actually eat early in the morning. But then by 11 o'clock, if I'm starving, I sometimes turn to the wrong kind of food, which I know in my head is so wrong. That's what I'm asking you. We, we sometimes do things that we know inherently. Don't do this. And then you do it because exactly. it's quick and easy and you're in a rush. And I find that a lot of women that I speak to do tend to carb binge at bad times in the day simply because they haven't fueled themselves with the correct nutrition earlier in the day. Exactly. And we often eat out of convenience and we don't give ourselves enough time to prepare food and we stressed and we're on the run. And so food becomes a quick fix. For sure. For sure. And talk to me a bit about children and kids and educating them from a young age without making them obsessed. And I speak to so many of my younger um, customers and they say that they try and create a good self-image for their children who may be experiencing a bit of weight gain. And yet these girls suffer so terribly at school with peer pressure and looking Mm. a certain way. How do we try and combat that? Like how do we instill a really good self-image in our kids, not letting them 
tend to the obesity side, but just to be healthy and not compare themselves to to others around others. them. Yeah, it's a very, very big problem that we're seeing. And anxiety and depression and ADHD and medication is causing this huge like implosion of kids struggling, and not even just girls. We're talking about boys also with severe eating disorders and, sure. and body dysmorphia and disordered eating and thoughts around food. So my best advice is start early and encourage from a young age. Remember, your kids watch you. For sure. If you refuse to eat broccoli and asparagus and all the healthy foods, your kids are not going to do that. So if you create you know, a good foundation and good healthy eating in the home environment. Eliminate the cold drinks. Eliminate the sugary things. For Allow sure. it for a treat. Bring it in in a healthy way. Bring it in over Shabbos. Yes. You know, but encourage good quality water intake. Children need to sleep. They need to exercise. They need to be taking the right things to school. For sure. So, so it starts at home and it starts with the parents. For sure. So very quickly before I let you go and carry on with your day, if I had to say to you, Top five foods to have a balanced diet in your home, to have dinner at night that's healthy, nutritious, not over-sugared. What would you say that we should all be focusing on for lunches, for dinners, just off so the top exactly of your what head? You said, when people are craving sugars or the energy levels are dipping, it's, it's highlighting the fact that they're not eating correctly. So if you look at number one, you've got to be well hydrated. You've got to drink water. Wow. You will never, ever reach a point of hydration if you're not achieving at least six straight glasses of water a day. And this is very true for children. They get grumpy, they get irritated, they get tired. So definitely enough water in your diet. You've got to include vegetables and salads sure. in the raw form, in the cooked form, soups, stews, curries. doesn't Amazing. matter stir yeah. how you get it in, smoothies. Get it in. Because that provides, yeah, it provides fire that keeps you full, it keeps you satisfied. And then protein is also important. There has to be fish. There has to be chicken. So many people don't eat fish because they don't like the smell. So sad. Bring in lentils. Bring in legumes. Bring in quinoa. Absolutely beautiful ways of getting in protein. And um, and if you're looking for something sweet, opt for a couple of dates or some fruit. For sure. Use unprocessed, unrefined, unsugar-based foods. And check your shopping trolley. Look at it when you check out and make sure that 70 to 80% of that trolley is filled with you know, not wrapped, packaged foods, that it's good quality, healthy foods. Amazing. Elise Barron, clinical dietitian, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Anyone who wants to get hold of Elise, I'm sure you can easily find her by Googling her. Thank you, Elise. Thanks, Dolores. Have a good day. You too. Cheers. Halashing for halas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is Essen Fresen. It's all about the food. You're back with Dolores Fischer from Food by Flavors, and today we're talking about food, nutrition, health, healthy body image, and everything that goes with it. So just before we switch across to Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist, and talk a bit about about the psychology of food and why we make certain choices, I'm going to share with you a very quick recipe that I think is healthy. Don't judge me, dietitians on the line. But I often make a teriyaki sauce and use it as a marinade. It's easy on chicken. It's easy on fish. It's even easy with stir-fry vegetables. So very quickly, you combine in a pot one cup of water, a quarter cup of soya sauce. I sometimes like to use a thicker soya sauce for this. Five teaspoons of packed brown sugar. Hope that's okay, dietitians. A tablespoon of honey, and I sometimes opt for the date honey. 
a half a teaspoon of ground ginger, or you can use fresh ginger and just grate it into your pot, some fresh garlic, the equivalent of a quarter teaspoon, two tablespoons of a thickening agent such as cornstarch or mazina. You can leave this out if you find it too on the fattening side. And then a quarter cup of almost ice water. So the first cup of water is warmer. I stir it all together and I just let it simmer on the pot, in the pot, till it reduces slightly. Right at the end, I add in some black and white sesame seeds, which just gives it that little edge. And that's a delicious marinade on chicken or salmon or stir-fry veggies. And I think a healthy option as we heading into summer. So that's one recipe for today. I'm now going to... Switch across to Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist. Welcome, Leonard. Thank you for joining us today. I think you're in Israel, so welcome all the way from Israel. I am. Thank you, Dolores. You, you in food, you in food heaven, my best place for, for tastes <laughs> and, and everything. To me, Israel's just the most delicious food in the whole world. I love the shooks. I love the restaurants. I love the street food. I love everything. So I'm very jealous, but yeah, welcome. So I just wanted to, we're talking about summer, we're talking about body image, and I think these are perennial questions. I think that, as I said before, things change, but things stay the same. And one thing that does stay the same is the way we look at ourselves, whether we're looking, even from biblical times, if we look at food and beauty, it's always mentioned. And if we go across to Shakespeare, whatever we seem to, literature across the years, everything always carries with it body image. And with that, obviously, comes choices. So what I really wanted to talk to you today is why do we sometimes make bad choices? Why do we sometimes opt? And I know we've had this discussion once before. When we're busy, when we're stressed, when we're sad, when we're anxious, we tend to go for the greasier, quick fuel food. What is it that makes us opt for something that we know inherently is wrong when we should be going for something healthier? Well, I think there are two issues. The one issue is the physiological effect, which you're alluding to. Um, and the other is the emotional associations For that sure. one has with food. So, you know, there are certain foods that are emotionally associated with being comfort foods. And, um, and, and also what you just said about greasy, starchy foods is, is also the physiological effect, which can either be that the food has um, amino acids in it that give you an emotional lift um, mm-hmm. that make you feel better, like chocolate and wheat, you know, tryptophan and um, various amino acids. And the other is that it can actually make you numb For sure. and drowsy. And, um, and often people use um, starch, starchy foods to numb themselves. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I remember once the AA uh, recommended that for long road trips, you give children, um, you know, fried chips um, on the way because it makes them drowsy and, you know, oh, wow. helps them to sleep in the car. So, you know, there are all of these things. And I think that... Um, we, we also obviously mistake taste for nourishment because when some something is delicious, it, it subjectively feels nourishing, even though objectively it might be quite unhealthy. For sure, for sure. So, I mean, in your experience and in your many years of practice, I'm sure you've dealt with weight issues and self-image and 
it even affects relationships and how you look at your partner or how sure. you feel loved or unloved. How do we correct sure. those bad inherent? And I know that maybe the, I say the old fashioned way, but I think parents today, even parent with more knowledge and try and build a healthier self image for children. Whereas I think before, I know I had a, a friend who had a very obese child and she used to scream at the child, you're fat, you're ugly, no one will ever love you. I mean, I think that has changed dramatically over the years as we've kind of developed. Do you agree with that or do you still see that kind of behavior? Well, I think you still see that kind of behavior. And actually, um, the, the irony of that is that could very well have been while the, while the child was obese in the first place. For sure. You know, because... Uh, um, First of all, you, a parent can't help their children until they've resolved their own issues and become comfortable with the issue within themselves. For sure. Because if a parent is in conflict with themselves and their own body and their own relationship with food, that will inevitably spill out um, into their relationship with their children. But also... Um, you know, in the, in the example that you've just given, um, there's such rejection and such abandonment For sure. in that um, argument, and then you're almost setting the, the the child up to to turn to the one thing <clears throat> that from early infancy we, we associate with, with connection and, and comfort. comfort. For sure. Which is food, you know. For sure. Um, but so I think that. Um, Look, I think we're a very long way from from getting over this issue. First of all, it's not in anybody's commercial interest for people to become comfortable with their bodies um, or with food because if you think about the number of industries that um, are spawned by people being unhappy with their bodies, you know, whether it's the cosmetic industry, the cosmetic Surgery industry, the makeup industry, the clothing industry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think we're a long way off from from people being comfortable with with hum- also human variation. You know, people are genetically designed in different ways. And it's you know, like self accepting. That's what Elise was speaking about. Knowing right. that your body shape is just a certain way, and your gene collection pool is a certain way, and it's not going to change. And to make that the best it can be. Right, because actually, I mean, any dietitian can tell you this: that everyone who goes to them for you know before the December holiday or the wedding or whatever it is, they go on some punishing diet, lose the weight, and then by the next year they a few kilos more than what they were the last year, you know. Everyone wishes to be the way they were when they first thought they'd got a problem with their weight. For sure. Uh, I get that. It's like you put on three kilos and then you wish you were just those three kilos less. Yeah, and, and but the thing is also you damage your metabolism and so it becomes a self-perpetuating loop. For sure. So just before you go, talk to me a bit about chocolate. I know people say chocolate's a mood enhancer. I think it's to do with linked to serotonin and a feel good factor. What is it that some people are just, I call it addicted to chocolate and just have to have that sweet fix every day? Well, I think that there's two issues. The one issue is the amino acid in in the the chocolate that, that, that gives you a feel good feeling. 
but the other is the sugar. And and generally, people who are addicted to chocolate um, are addicted to high sugar, probably lower cocoa chocolates. You know, if you tell me that you're addicted to, you know, like a an eighty percent or or ninety percent chocolate, I'll tell you, your addiction is to chocolate. But the people you're talking about, I think, are addicted to sugar. Okay. So it's that sugar fix. And I think sugar is a, is, a, is a definite addiction because if you speak to anybody who has um, insulin resistance, yes, um, they will tell you that things like sugar, pasta, any processed food, rather than being satisfying, makes them hungrier. Yes, it gives um, you that immediate the, the, lift, and then afterwards you just feel that low. You, you crave more, but also, also. It doesn't satisfy you even immediately. So, 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 so how, so how can we correct that on an emotional level? Like how can we, on a psychological level, how can we correct that within ourselves? Well, well, the thing is, actually you've got to first correct it on a physiological level. Because hunger is a, is a natural instinct and it's unnatural to not eat when you're hungry. So the, the secret is to actually control the hunger. Okay. Um, and you can, you control the hunger by not eating processed foods and, and carbohydrates and sugar that stimulates the hunger. For sure. And that's, it, it, you know, it's a terrible thing when people interpret their physiological craving as psychological and they end up in this horrible battle with themselves trying to fight their body when in actual fact if they got their physio- physiology under control, they'd feel psychological. It would correct the psychological balance, yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Great. Good food for thought. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Leonard Carr from Israel this time. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Dolores. Thanks, Leonard. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is Essen Fressen. It's all about the food. Sounds too delicious. I could do with one of those coffees now. And while we're talking coffee, just a little shot of inspiration. Coffee works beautifully with meat. So sometimes you can take brisket or a scotch fillet. I would prefer scotch fillet in this instance. Marinate it with your favorite herbs, fresh herbs, coriander, garlic. I like to kind of take a knife and stab my scotch fillet and bang the herbs into the grooves. Um, Don't be scared of using your hands. Take your hands and rub it in. Use a little bit of olive oil. And then when you make your tasty gravy or your barbecue sauce, if you add a little bit of coffee, it just adds the most delicious edge. So I take a little bit of coffee, just instant coffee, a few spoons of instant coffee, or if you've got your bodum or coffee machine ready, you can make a strong coffee in an espresso cup and add it to your gravy, and it's really the most delicious, delicious um, addition to a piece of meat just gives that little edge you can even decorate then you can put fresh herbs on your platter and put some fresh coffee beans which is always just so delicious to smell on a table i love adding coffee beans to a table so while we're talking health i'm going to share with you just one easy everyday recipe that i'm sure you would have the ingredients on hand at home and that's a cob salad so if you google a cob salad there are 4000 variations of it but what i like to do is just to do one big platter i, I like to combine some rocket with butter lettuce shredded 
Um, I take some hard-boiled eggs and do a row of hard-boiled eggs, some pepper juice, some fresh peppers sliced, baby carrots, which you can either uh, soften slightly in a pan or in a pot if you want it that way, or I leave them even raw. I love the baby carrots that are available on the market. You can take some uh, tuna and just put a row of tuna. Of course, fresh ever always adds to that platter. If you're doing, um, if you're doing it as a milk meal, you can add some crumbled blue cheese or crumbled feta or ricotta. I'm sure ricotta is a good choice also while we're talking about weight and summer and health. Some cherry tomatoes, some fresh cucumbers, and I like to put some pickled cucumbers also, and some finely chopped chives just, um, tossed over. And for that, you can use such a simple dressing. Sea salt, a bit of grated lemon, a squeeze of lime juice, a little bit of uh, vinegar of your choice, and a few spoons of olive oil. If you wish it to be sweet, you can use a little bit of date honey. I even find some grainy mustard gives a sweetness to that kind of a dressing. Drizzle it over, and there you have a nutritious and healthy summer salad platter. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is Essen Fressen. It's all about the food. Good morning, everyone. You're back with Dolores from Food by Flavors. And today we're talking all things delicious and healthy, gearing up for summer. And we're also talking about optimizing our body and our body image and how we look at ourselves and our relationships with food, which I think is so crucial from a very young age. So joining me now is someone who is making waves in the world of health and wellness all across South Africa. Jake Axelrod, welcome to my show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. I know that you are the owner of MetaLab, and I know you know a lot about supplements, which we'll talk about in just a while. But talk to me about what you see in trends, the people who come to you, what they're looking for. I think a lot of people come to you and say, how do I build lean muscle? How do I look good? How do I, can you get my body into shape? Is it a quick fix? Is it a journey? Tell me what you see trending in the market and tell me if you, if you see changes over the years. Uh, thanks, Dolores. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, a fascinating industry to be in. Um, it's constantly changing and shifting. But I think, you know, there's always one overarching um, similarity between what people want to achieve. And I think there's a big gap in the information as to how they can get to what they want to achieve versus what they actually need to do. Um, and it's a lot simpler than most people think. Well, that's good news. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, from myself, as you said, I've been in the industry for, you know, over a decade now, um, starting out as a, as a coach, um, degree in nutrition, um, and really for the first couple of years on the ground working, I mean, I worked with, you know, close to, I think, 400 people over a couple of years. Um, and yeah, I started to really understand, you know, through my studies and anecdotally with different people, what works and what doesn't, and what I feel is the most important thing to to focus on. So very um, quickly, give us the secret. What is that? What? How do you see that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, building muscle, and regardless of of your gender, I think that's something that you know everyone should place some focus on, regardless of what your current activity is. If you do no activity at all, and I'm really a firm believer that no matter who you are, if you're capable of exercising, anyone will benefit from building lean muscle. For sure. Um, 
And it's not to say that you have to dedicate your life to building muscle. Even a slight increase over the span of a few years will really make the world of a difference to one's quality of life and self-esteem. That's amazing. So how how do we start that journey? If someone comes to you, let's take an example of someone who isn't the fittest person, who maybe has exercised very meagerly over the years and who has an unhealthy eating formula. How do you start them off on a process that doesn't scare them? How do we start the journey? Yes, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things. I think, as I said, keeping it basic is the main priority. And the first thing is, um, you know, to understand what your goals are and then what you need to prioritize in order to reach those goals. A big mistake I see um, with most people is, they want to achieve a certain outcome physically, um, whether it's to look better, get fitter, build muscle, and they actually start off doing things incorrectly when it comes to how they train and how they eat. Yes. So for me, understanding and prioritizing how you train, I know out there there's, there's that saying, it's, um, you know, 100% of your results come in the kitchen. Yes, and but I'm sure you... For me... Yeah, that's actually the second point of focus for me. And okay. I know that sounds, yeah, uh, um, different to what everyone hears. But for me, understanding and prioritizing your training first is the most important aspect because your training is the stimulus for the body. And without the correct stimulus, no matter how good your nutrition is, you're not going to achieve what you set out to do. So if for you sure. want to get fitter, but you're doing only weight training, the stimulus isn't going to lead to you getting fitter. If you want to build muscle and you're only running and doing cardio, the stimulus isn't going to lead to you building muscle. So for me, the stimulus is very important, and that's usually the first box we need to check when we goal setting and understanding what we want to achieve. And I think, I think that being active and being more physical makes you feel better automatically. Hundred percent. I mean, that's regardless of the activity. For sure. you know, just being active, yeah, is going to improve the quality of your life. But for me, more more than anything, I'm just a firm believer in focusing the majority of your training on building muscle. Everyone's going to have, you know, things that they prefer to do. For sure. And that's fine. Um, but for me and the people I work with, that's always our main focus, um, not only from a physical perspective, but also from a health perspective, the metabolic adaptions that happen positively within the body. Um, and I just, you know, I've seen the benefits, you know, with all the people we've worked with at MetaLab. Amazing. So talk to me about, if I had to ask you quickly, your top tips to build a desirable yeah. and healthy physique. What would your advice be? Yeah, so I think circling back, the first point would definitely be to prioritize your training first because, as I said, that's your stimulus. So really knuckling down and understanding what training you need to be doing to achieve the goal that you want to achieve. So in this case for muscle building, you need to do resistance training, weight training, and generally I would advise at least four times a week. Um, but if it's not your main priority or the main form of training you do, you can get away with one to two very well-structured sessions in a week. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. The, you know, the key with your training is also just keep it basic. Online, there's so many things out there that try to grab your attention, a special way to train, a special exercise, and – just sticking to the basics and what the science says works 
is what works. That's amazing. So yeah. don't have to overcomplicate, you know, just nailing the basics over and over again, over time, make sure you're getting stronger, you're progressing, you're increasing the weight you use, and that will lead to results. And Jake, just before um, you leave the show, I just want to talk to you about supplements. I know that you, yes. uh, MetaLab is your real baby, and you've made yeah. such inroads with MetaLab. Um, but mm. people can be so overwhelmed by not knowing what to choose. I'm not. I'm saying not everyone goes to a Jake Axelrod. Not everyone goes to a dietitian. Yes. How do we know what to choose? How do we know what we need when we're looking at supplements? And is it a is it an age related? choice do we have to look at different mm. supplements at different age ages in our lives talk to me a bit about supplements yeah um so this is going to sound odd coming from someone who owns a supplement company but um you know supplements aren't like they aren't a necessity okay. barring if you don't have a, a deficiency or anything that needs to be clinically treated they aren't an essential part of one's routine but with that being said Used effectively and selected effectively, they can definitely benefit your overall lifestyle, your health, and your results in general. So for me, obviously, I'm more performance-focused. I'm more physique-focused. Um, so for me, I definitely see a, a high-quality whey protein supplement as a household staple. Wow. I really believe that every pantry should have a whey protein. It's even safe for kids if it's really high-quality. And does that... Um, um, does that make you put on weight or just build muscle? And if you are a bad eater as such inherently and you are taking that kind of a, a whey protein, would it make you kind of lean more to the obesity side or can you manage that? Yeah. Yeah. So in general, protein is the most underconsumed macronutrient by individuals. So most people who aren't aware of how much protein they need to consume and consciously try to consume that amount grossly under eat protein. So the average person who doesn't even exercise can benefit from taking a protein shake because it's just going to increase the total protein consumption. Yes. And whey protein itself has a lot of health benefits from an immune perspective to preventing muscle loss, metabolic benefits. Um, so in general, I would say whey protein is a good staple to have in the house. Not to say you need to have it every day, but it's something you want to look into using on a more frequent basis for sure. That's so interesting. And just before you go, talk to us. What are your protein choices? You personally, um, listen, what, what do you focus on in a day that you make sure you get an intake of a what? What is your secret? Yeah, so food always comes first for me and my clients. Um, and generally, you've just got to work out the total amount of protein that one needs to consume. Um, it's important to understand net protein versus gross protein. So what I mean by that is, let's say I need to consume 200 grams of protein. That doesn't mean that the food needs to weigh 200 grams. So, for example, 100 grams of chicken that's consumed will have about 27 grams of protein. So okay. once you understand your total needs and which foods are going to contribute to that, then that's what guides your, your food choices. So for me... I would generally incorporate a protein shake in my day, which leads towards that consumption. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a hard question to answer. Of course, of course. Yeah, because you kind of need to know that number. Okay. And you, again, you work out yeah. a program for the individual based on their lifestyle, their needs, their body shape, etc. Yes, 100%. Amazing. Thank you for joining us, yeah. Jake Axelrod, no, elite trainer and owner of MetaLab. Thank you, Jake. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? 
This is SN Fresen. It's all about the food. Welcome back. We're talking food, delicious flavors, healthy body image, all the good things of life, which is why I love what I do. So just before we wrap up the day, I'm going to give you a quick and easy recipe for a one-pot chicken. I hope it's edging to the healthier side of things. But for an easy weekday meal, um, you can take eight pieces of bone-in chicken. You can use thighs. If you prefer to use the lean breast, you can, of course, use the lean breast. What I like to do is actually use a bit of a rub, which you can use fresh herbs, a little bit of olive oil, some fresh garlic, rosemary, etc. And I literally sear it on the bra so it's healthy straight off the bra and then for a one pot dish you can chop in some zucchini some fresh sweet red onion a few celery sticks even uh, some slithers of julienne cabbage just to give it a bit of body and then i take a packet of orzo i love using orzo it's the pasta rice and with that i add Add it all into one pot, a little bit of turmeric, olive oil, salt, a bit of harissa, cumin, some Dijon mustard. I love the grainy mustard, a squeeze of date honey, three and a half cups of boiled water and a little bit of stock and let it simmer for about one hour on the stovetop. And within an hour, you'll have a delicious one pot, healthy chicken dish. So that's me, Dolores Fischer, wrapping up for today. I hope I gave you a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of I definitely learned a few things from these three wonderful people that we spoke to today. I know we always try and be healthy and we can't always maintain it, but I think health and body image is so connected. So wishing you a beautiful week ahead, a healthy eating week, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a good day.